I was reading um, in Matthew, and I came across the 23rd verse. You know, in Matthew 1, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. He found out Mary was expecting. They had never come together as husband and wife. They were not yet married. And he was embarrassed for her and for himself and was going to just send her away. But an angel came and appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him all that had happened and that this baby in Mary's womb was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. And then he quoted Isaiah, a prophecy from Isaiah. He said, this is what was written by Isaiah when he said, a virgin shall bring forth a child, and uh, a virgin shall bring forth a child, and you shall, and she shall call, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Now that's Isaiah seven, I think verse six or so. But what really grabbed me that it said he'll be called Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us, and and the the term God with us just jumped off the page at me. You tell me that's what Christmas is all about? God with us? That that baby born in a stable in Bethlehem is God with us? You mean to tell me that God who spoke this world out of nothing came into this world that he created into a world of fallen man And there, that first Christmas, it happened. God with us. You know, that changes everything. Really, it changes everything to me. God with us. You know, there were many wonderful names given by the prophets of the Messiah that was going to come. I know the one we all love so much is Isaiah 9, 6. They had it on the screen a moment ago, and we'll look at it now. Uh, It it says, for unto us a child is born. Listen to this wonderful description of God with us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government, the spiritual government will be upon his shoulders. And look what he says. By the way, you, you can call him wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. Isaiah was trying as best he could. He said, let me tell you about the Messiah. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. I'm trying to let you know who's coming into this world. But the thing that sealed it for me was when that angel told Joseph, listen, Your wife's going to have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. His name is Emmanuel, and that's God with us. That's God with us. You know, I love it when the angel appeared to Mary. You see, we, we want to talk about what it means for God to be with us. What does that mean? And so the angel came to Mary and And all these other wonderful names, wonderful counselor, 
In Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 32, he says, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then he goes on and says, And behold, you conceive in your womb, and bear forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he goes on and says, For he, for, for, for he will be great, he will be called Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So the angel just said to Mary, listen, it's, it's glorious. It's going to be God with us. And then, of course, the angel appeared to Joseph, as I just told you, in Matthew 1, 20 through 23. But the main thing was, he said, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. But they were kind of telling him who was coming the angels, and how he was going to come. And then the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke 2, 10 and 11. And and this is a glorious two verses where the, the angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillside and said, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings. The coming of God into the world was good news. Coming into the world he created. Coming into the world of fallen man. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you, for, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. Now he, he tells us something about this God with us. A Savior. There's a Savior being born. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now let's... Let's talk about and think about what it means to you for God to be with us. Um, John, the beloved disciple, he understood what was happening. And so over in the first chapter of John, he he wrote in one verse, probably one of the most debated, debated verses and important verses theologically in the whole Bible. In the first chapter of John, in in the uh, gospel, in the first verse, it says, In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word, capital W, was with God. Now, wait a minute. And the Word was God. Now, if a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, they they, they say, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. I said, but wait a minute. What about... um, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They said, well, it says there in the Greek, the Word was a God. It does not say that. That is not true. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was the God. Just how they change one word to support a theology that's heresy, that Jesus is not God. So John said, listen. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on and says in verse 2, All things were made through Him. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. It's still shining today, and the darkness cannot put it out. So, John says, listen, the Word... It was through Jesus 
that God created all things before he is God. He was there in the beginning. Remember God said, let us, us, make man. Who's us in our image? He was talking about the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. But then John goes on in verse 14, and this is where God is God with us. Listen to what he says. The word was that was the God. Okay, stay with me. The word that was the God became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. He said, we beheld the glory of God who became flesh and dwelled among us. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, in verse 18. Now, this tells you what it means for God to be with us. It says, the one, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And do you hear what John said? He said, listen, nobody's ever seen God. But i tell you what happened. Jesus, who, I like it, in the bosom of the Father, he was one. He has come, and you know what he's done? He's declared him. He said, let me tell you who God is. Now, that's important. He said, let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you what God's like. Let me tell you what God's purpose is. Let me tell you what God's plan is. You see, Jesus came and revealed the unrevealed. He came and declared, this is who God is. And this is what God is like. And this is how God acts. Now, you know, it's a, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is, it's hard to explain it. There's one God who manifests himself uniquely in three ways. The Father the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And you say, well, how can that be? If you're God, you can do anything you want to do. And, and the Bible says, and, and this just came to me this morning, you've heard, the Father is God invisible. I doubt if anybody in this room when we get to heaven, I don't believe any of us will see the Father. God is spirit, and they that worship him in spirit and in truth. But we don't have to see the Father because Jesus said, are you listening to me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And so the, the Father is God invisible. Jesus is God visible. And the Holy Spirit is God indwelling the hearts of men. And here's the thing. Over in Philippians 2, it says, talking about Jesus who came to earth, it says of him, now stay with me, who being in the form of God, he, was de he is deity, he's God, who being in the form of God did not consider the thing to be clutched and held on to, to be equal with God, 
But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a man and came as a bondservant. You see, what happened in, in the beginning, Genesis 1, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in creation, the Spirit of God moved on the waters. The Bible says that it was through Jesus and by Jesus, the, the Son, the vi- God visible, that all things were created. And so in the beginning, they were there. But now in time, by the way, let me tell you this. This is very important. It said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the curse of the law. And so what happened is Jesus, who is God with us, became flesh and took upon him a human body, just like you have and just like I have, a human body. Do you know that Jesus Christ was tempted? He became a man and dwelled among us, walked visibly and bodily on this earth for three years. He, he got hungry. He got tired. I think at times he... He was, he, I know at times he was tempted and attacked and misunderstood. The Bible says he experienced everything we experience except sin. In fact, it says he was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. But you've got to understand, Jesus did not live on this earth as God. He lived on this earth as a man full of the Holy Spirit with a body just like you and I have but did not have a sinful nature. So for us to think that Jesus does not understand what it is to be tired or what it is to to face opposition, well, you say, Brother Fred, you know he was sinless. I know he was. You reckon he ever got discouraged? I think if I had Peter in my congregation, I'd stay discouraged. (laughs) He knew everything, but he didn't know nothing. But I'm telling you, you see, God with us means that God laid aside his deity in Jesus and took upon him humanity and came and lived among us. And he came to reveal who God is and who what God is like and what God's plan is. So I don't have to go and, 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 and look up at the stars and try to figure out who God is. I don't have to go to the natives in India and say, can you tell me anything about God? I don't have to go to the philosopher, the theologian, to say, would you please help me to understand God? i tell you, I know how to understand God. Look in the face of Jesus Christ, and you will understand who God is. It's not, it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not vague, y'all. It's not vague. And listen, we've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and they're all full of Jesus and exactly what he did, how he acted, what he said, how he responded. So, if I want to know who God is and how God responds and how, how God acts and what God's plan is, what I do? I go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I just look at Jesus, and I just look at him, and I remember what he told Philip. He said, now, Philip. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Don't you go around saying, well, I just wish he would show us the Father. He said, man, have I been with you so long? He said, I and my Father are one. Now, by the way, 
Did you know in heaven there's going to be a divine order? There's going to be the Father, God invisible. He's spirit. I don't know if we'll ever see the Father. I don't know. No one has ever seen him and lived. But maybe we will. But I do know we'll see God because we'll see Jesus. (laughs) We'll see him. You know the only man-made thing in heaven? The nail prints in the hands of Jesus. That's the only man-made thing in heaven. I was singing that song going around the house the other day. We will know him. We will know him. We'll know him by the print of the nails in his hand. We will see God. We'll see Jesus face to face. Hey, by the way, I love what the Bible says. When we see him, we will be like him. Hallelujah. He had a resurrected body and he was 33 years old. Glory to God. That's right. I was telling people this morning, I got a virus. It's a virus. It lasts 360 days a year, 365 days a year. You know what my virus is? 78. That's a new virus. 365 days a year. I got up this morning and said, I got a virus. Woo! That's why I came in late. I couldn't stand up all those songs. And we need to sing songs sitting down. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to write a book, 300 songs you can sing sitting down. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Man, at my age, you just want to sit down. Glory to God. Woo! But I want to just show you from the Bible how Jesus revealed God to us. And so I can know how the Father is. I can know his heart. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. That... um, Jesus revealed the nature, the character, and the attributes of God. As I watch him as he walked the shores of the Sea of Galilee, as I watch him as he ministered to his 12 disciples, one who betrayed him, as I ministered, see him as he wept over Jerusalem, as I see him when he healed the blind eyes and raised the dead. You see, when you look at Jesus, you see the nature the character and the attributes of God. By the way, Jesus made it absolutely clear in revealing the Father that God is holy. Now, it's nowhere where Jesus come out and said, well, the Father is holy, holy, holy. But by his life and by his actions, he clearly revealed that God is holy, holy, holy. And that word, you... you, you, you the only way you can understand it, the word holy, what does that mean? In the Hebrew, it meant it was, it was a cut above. When somebody was holy or something was holy, it, yes, it was set apart to God, but we're talking about God. It means it's a cut above, which it means it's high above everything else. And Isaiah it says, thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. So when we say God is holy, he is far above any other being. So far above any other being, nothing can be compared to him. He, it doesn't say God is love, love, love. He is love. But it does say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it means that God is so far above every other thing that he's holy. He's, a, he's the holy God. And Jesus challenged them. Uh, they, they, were, they were trying to say he had demons and, 
in, in John 8, 45 through 47. I want you to listen. They were confronting him. The, the, you know, the greatest enemy to Christianity today is religion. Lukewarm religion and false religion. But hey, we think the world's the greatest enemy. He says, Jesus was, they, they were confronting him. This was the Pharisees. He said, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And he went on and said, listen to what he said. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, if you and I said that to somebody, we'd say, I've never sinned. You can't ever convict me of sin. We wouldn't dare say that. But Jesus could because he had never sinned. So he just looked at him and said, hey, you won't believe me even though I'm telling you the truth. He said, let me ask you one question. You bunch of religious jerks, that is not a good word. (laughs) Oh, he called them worse than that. He said, let me tell you one thing. You won't believe me, but which one of you can convict me of sin? Because he knew that he was holy. And all points tempted like we are, without sin. And so the message that Jesus communicates to us is that God is holy. That he is without sin. He's far above any other. In John chapter uh, 19, verses 4 through 6. Jesus is, um, it says, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate said, this man's done nothing wrong. He's not guilty of anything. And then he said it again. They, they, they just wanted to kill him. They just said, and so he went on in verse 6. And it says in verse 5, then Jesus came wearing out the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said, behold the man. And then he said, therefore, when the chief priests and the scribes saw that, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. You want to know who God is? God's holy. He's far above any other. Sin has never touched him and could never touch him. And sin could never live in his presence. That's why he cast the devil and those angels out of heaven. So God is holy. Then the second way Jesus revealed God to us, I mean, I want to know who God is, what he's like, what he does, how he works. Well, I know he's holy, but then Jesus said, but let me tell you something about God. He's love. Now, in John 3.16, I, I know y'all all knew this, but who spoke those words? Who spoke John 3.16? I know it's in the Gospel of John, but who spoke it? Who? Jesus. I thought John spoke it. You say, you're a little slow. I've told you that for years. But listen, it was Jesus that said. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. This is Jesus speaking, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus declared, let me tell you something, God so loved you, that's why I came. And so he says, God is holy. We see that God is holy, but we see that God is love. Man, I love it in John 10. 
17 and 18. I want y'all to look at this. Jesus is trying to let us know how much God loves us. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And then he goes on in the next verse. No one takes my life from me. Nobody's going to take my life from me. But I lay it down of myself. He said, I have the power to die. I have the power not to die. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and power to take it up again. This commandment I've received of my Father. And then Jesus goes on and says, uh, he says, the way you know somebody loves you is they lay down your life for you. And he said that in Matthew 5, John 15, verse 12. I want you to see that. He talks about the way you know love. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now listen to what he says. He said, he goes on and says, greater, one, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He laid down his life, not only for his friends. He laid down his life for his enemies. Romans says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And so I I look at Jesus and I see that he's holy. And that tells me God is holy. Then I look at Jesus as he walks and as he ministers to people. And I see the love of Jesus. I see the love of Jesus always laying down his life, always laying down his life. And and I see how Jesus Christ loves people. And man, I say, you know, how awesome, how awesome Jesus laid down his life for us. So God is holy. How do I know that? Jesus is holy. God is love. How do I know that? Jesus is love. He laid down his life. If you ever want, hear in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. But here's the third thing about how Jesus reveals the nature and character of God. He not only is holy, he's not only is love, but let me show you this. And this is so important that we communicate this when we talk about who God is. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. You see, what, what they want to say is, when we speak out against adultery, or lying, or stealing, any moral thing, any sexual sin, when we speak out against that, they say that we're attacking them. And they say that it's hate speech. No, no. You, you can't be any more plain than Jesus was when he talked to the scribes and Pharisees. I'll show you that. But the thing about it is, God loves sinners, but he hates sin. Well, how how do we know that? How did Jesus manifest that? Okay, let's go to a familiar passage. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Stay with me. Jesus told the story, first of all, about the lost sheep, and then he told the story about a lost coin. And the woman swept her house, and she found her coin. She found it, and she told her neighbors, I found the coin. It was evidently a very important coin. I found the coin. And all the neighbors rejoiced. And look what he said. When they rejoiced that she found the coin, Jesus said, let me tell you something. There's joy in heaven. 
there's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. God loves sinners. And heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. That sounds like God's for them, not against them. You know, then he talked about the lost son. In the same 15th chapter, verses 20 and 21, I think the, the, the son had thought out what he was going to say to his father when he saw him because he'd, he'd, he'd blown it. He said, he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran on his neck and kissed him. And then it, the son repents before the father. He said, Dear Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. You know the beautiful thing about that? We think that's all about the prodigal son who went out in the far country and lived in sin. Oh, no, 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 no. It's about the Jewish father that saw him leave home and probably wept himself to sleep every night because his son was in the far country. And every day he'd get up and go on the porch and he'd say, God answers prayer. This may be the day he comes home. This may be the day he comes back. And all of a sudden, in the distance down the road, he saw this dirty, straggled, straggled clothed right, right, come walking down the street. And as he got a little closer, he said, certainly that's not my son. Maybe it is my son. Then if it dawned on him, well, it is my son. And a Jewish man who never showed emotion publicly, the Bible says he ran. Now, this guy had been wicked. He ran. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. And people say, well, God hates sinners. No, he doesn't. God loves sinners. And he's always wanting them to come back. God is willing that none should perish. Jesus told that story to let us know that God loves sinners, but he hates sin. You know, you say, Brother Fred, how do we know God loves sinners and hates sin? Let me tell you, this is a great passage. This is the day of grace, you know, and grace was in the Old Testament. In John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees came being biblically correct of the Old Testament, and they came with their Bibles to beat on Jesus and said, we want you to know this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the, Moses and the law said that she should be stoned. Now, what are you going to do about that, Jesus? Because they'd seen him loving people. He'd eaten with Zacchaeus. He'd hung out with a bunch of sinners. They all were upset about it. Now, Moses said she needs to be stoned. Well, Jesus stooped down and rode in the ground. Then just one by one, they all left. They all left. Then it came that the only two people were left was Jesus and that woman. When Jesus raised himself up and saw the, when you saw the, oh, saw the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And he said, she said, sir, no one, Lord, no one's accused me, condemned me. Jesus said, and now listen to what he says, neither do I condemn you. But you wait a minute, you've got to understand Jesus hates, loves sinners. 
God loves sinners, but he hates sin. Listen to what he told her. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You're forgiven, but don't go back and live in that sin because sin destroys you. Sin robs you of being who God created you to be. And so Jesus wasn't soft on sin, but he just illustrated God loves sinners, but he hates sin. And he said, I don't condemn you. Now you go and you sin no more. And God said that to a bunch of you, and he said that to me. When we've fallen short and we've sinned against God and our hearts are broken, and God said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I forgive you. Man, don't you go back and do that anymore. Because God loves sinners, but he hates sin. But you know, you want to know how much he hates sin? In John 8, 24 and 25, John 8, 24, listen to what he's told the, the, the Pharisees and those that listen. He said, if you don't believe me, you're going to die in your sins. Listen to what he said. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. See, he'd been preaching to them and telling them about the love of God. And it wasn't rules and regulations. It wasn't do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. That was not it at all. It was surrendering your life to God. And he said, therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So you've got to understand God loves sinners, but he is holy and he can have nothing to do with sin. Over in Matthew 23, 33, uh, yeah, it's 33. You know what he called the Pharisees? Serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Wait a minute, Jesus. Now, you're God with us, and you're looking at these people who are opposing you and who are wicked, even though they are religious, and you're telling them, you're not going to be able, unless you repent and get right, you're not going to escape the condemnation of hell. Now, you, I want you to know, that's what Jesus said. So obviously, God loves sinners, but God hates sin. Hell was never created for you or me. It was created for the devil and his angels. And the only way a person goes to hell is to reject Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. God loved people so much, he blockaded the road to hell with a cross. And the only way you get into hell is over the cross or around the cross. That, that's the only way you get there. Well, a loving God would never send a sinner to hell. Well, I reckon not. Why do you think Jesus died of agony on the cross? Because God didn't want anybody to go there. But God is holy. And sin cannot come into the presence of a holy God. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. And so God, therefore, cannot violate his nature and his character. He is holy. All right? That's point number one. What time is it? 10.26. Okay. All right, here's the second one. All right, I, I, who is God? What is he like? What is his purpose? What is his plan? Well, all I know to do is Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. And so Jesus is God with us. Second thing is this, is Jesus revealed the plan of God to restore his fallen creation. 
Jesus came down and said, let me tell you something. I want to show you the Father's plan for restoring a fallen human race. Now, don't you think for a moment, when Adam sinned, it didn't break the heart of God. Don't you think that? And don't you think today that when God looks at man and woman created in his image, in his likeness, don't you know that, hey, wait a minute. God could have just walked away and said, you know, you've, you've sinned. You've turned against me. You did what I told you not to do. I'll just let you t- leave you to yourself, and you'll destroy each other, and I'll just go on my way. But no. I, I, I mean, I don't understand. Well, I know God is a whole lot more compassionate than we are. <laughs> you remember when Moses came down off the mountain, and, and they had made a golden calf? You know, I can, I'm convinced that Aaron was a Baptist preacher and those people were Baptists because Aaron said, oh, I don't, know, I don't know how this happened. They all brought their gold and all their gold and we threw it in the fire and out came a calf. I've heard all kinds of things in my life. <laughs> Good Lord of mercy. It just jumped out of the fire. So we said, it must be God. We, you've been gone so long, Moses. We thought God had forgotten about us. And, and God said to Moses, Let me tell you what I'm going to do to that crowd. I am going to destroy every one of them. But you know what Moses did? He's a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, God, don't do that. Lord, I know they deserve it. I know they deserve it, Lord. I know that. But I'm asking for mercy. God, you brought them out of Egypt. What are all the people going to think? What about your character and nature, God? You brought them out of Egypt. What are all the people going to think when they they see the very people that you saved out of Egypt? You destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. And Moses pled with God. He pled with God, and God said, okay, I won't wipe them out. I won't destroy them. You see, even though God's creation, you and me, We fail. God never gave up on us. And he never quit loving us. At times, in Noah's day, he had it up to here. And he said, this is not ever going to get any better. So he he, he only saved Noah, an eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, and wiped out the rest. But the thing about it is, Jesus came and said, let me tell you what God's plan is. All right, John 3, 17. I want you to listen to this. This is God's plan. Jesus revealed the plan of God to restore his fallen creation. He says, John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Okay? Jesus, you didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but... That the world through him might be what? Saved. That's God's plan. That people will be saved. That's his plan. He's not in heaven and say, oh boy, here's three or four more people I can cast into hell. No. God wanted to do that. He didn't have to do anything but let us go. And we'd all gone to hell. But no, he said, "Uh uh-uh. That's not my, my heart. I hate sin, but I love sinners. 
So God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In Luke 5, 30 through 32, I want you to know that God's plan, it says, and, and the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They were upset because Jesus didn't hang out with a religious crowd. Jesus answered and said to them, These who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, I came to get save sinners. That, I'm glad he did because that's all of us, right? Anybody here who never sinned? Well, we're all a part of the same family. All right, look at Luke uh, I think it's, I can't read my own writing. I think it's Luke 19, 9 and 10. I think that's what it is. Is that what it is? And Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house. Talking about Zacchaeus, because he is also a son of Abraham. And he goes on in the next verse, For the Son of Man. Now you wonder what God's plan is for the fallen human race. Now listen to it. Here God invades the world and says, The Son of Man has come to seek, he's seeking you, and to save those which were, say the word, lost. So I see God's plan. <laughs> Jesus came on a mission to save me because I was lost. He came on a mission to save you because you were lost. And I'm telling you, God's purpose and plan for his fallen creation is to seek and to save those that are lost. So how did God go about it? How do you go about it? All right, look at John 12, 27. And he'll tell you how God went about it. Jesus is saying here, my soul is troubled. Now, Jesus was troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He was talking about the cross. Oh, yeah. Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour, dying on the cross. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Lord, I'm not going to ask you to save me from the cross. He said, that was the reason I came to this world. Now, he struggled in Gethsemane. We saw his humanity as he looked into the cup. But he always, every time he prayed, he said, Lord, you know I'm struggling, but your will be done. He said, I'm troubled, but your will be done. And, of course, he gladly went to the cross. All right, look in uh, Matthew 27, 45. He not only showed us it was God's plan to save the lost, but he showed us that God's plan was the cross. So we see Jesus on the cross. It's the ninth hour, and look what he says. Now, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And you go on and look at the next verse. And in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I don't know why. Here was Jesus. Your sin, your sin, my sin was all placed on Jesus. And there he was with the sins of the world on him. And holy God could not look upon sin, so he turned his back on his only son. 
And Jesus said, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by the Father, so we would never have to be forsaken. And there will be people in hell crying, well, God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't forsake them. You see, God's plan was, you know, it's, it's so unique. It's, it, 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 it is so supernatural, but it makes so much sense once you get on the inside. You see, the wages of sin is for God to forgive Adam and Eve, there had to be, a, a, the blood had to be shed, and they had to have garments made for them. They made a garment out of leaves, but that could not cover their sin. Some, some, an animal had to die and shed its blood so their sins could be covered. That's why when Abel took his sacrifice to God, he had slain an animal and brought the blood of the lamb, where Cain brought vegetables of the fruit of the land, and God could not accept it. You see, the whole deal is this. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The wages of sin is death. But... So Jesus came, and he died in our place. We should have died on the cross. We should have bore our own sins in our body on that tree. But Jesus came, and he died on the cross in our place. He took your sin and my sin and paid the debt for them and rose from the dead. So now we can be forgiven because our sins have been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died so we could live. And so God's purpose was to seek and to save sinners. God's plan was that Jesus would provide one final sacrifice for all sin. And when any person would repent of their sin toward God and trust Jesus and his death on the cross, they would be forgiven, they would be cleansed, and they would be restored to the family of God. And that was God's plan. And I love John 19 verse 30. When Jesus had gone through all the hell of the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, It is finished. I have died for their sins. The perfect sacrifice has been made. All sin, past, present, and future has been paid for. For by one sacrifice he's perfected forever those who are sanctified. This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he said, it's finished. Glory to God. We don't have to struggle and strive and keep the rules and work to get saved. We just go to Jesus, the risen Lord, and receive the sacrifice he made on the cross. It was complete. It was totally sufficient. And I am telling you, when Jesus Christ saves you, you are saved. Because he paid the price. Well, let me go to this is the last point. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. God's plan, what was God's plan? He revealed God's plan to restore his fallen creation. He came to seek and to save sinners. And his plan was that Jesus would die on the cross for all sinners so that they could be saved. And by the way, you know, this is kind of an add-on, but it's pretty good. Luke 24, 6 and 7. You know what Jesus said? <laughs> this, I hope it will come up on the screen. He is not here. 
He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Listen to what he told him when he was in Galilee. How that he would be crucified and on the third day he would rise from the dead. And, 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 and so he said to him, listen, they're going to crucify me, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. God's plan is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. All right, here's the last point. First of all, Jesus revealed the nature, the attributes, the character of God. He's holy. He's loving. He loves sinners and hates sin. Jesus revealed the plan of God to seek and to save those that were lost. He revealed the plan that God had to do it by the cross and read the resurrection. So that's who God is, and that's what God's like, and that's how God works in the world. And here's the last thing. He revealed the purpose of God for you. He revealed the purpose of God for me. And I'll just say what they are. One, Jesus came, died, rose again, comes to live in you when you repent of your sin so that you could have an abundant life. I love it. John 10, 10. Jesus, you're God with us. Do you have any word? He said, yeah. I've came that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Jesus, you didn't come, you mean you didn't, you didn't come to lead me to struggle and to strive and to fall and to... You mean you came to give me a quality of life that the world could never give? To give me a quality life that only comes from the life of God in me? Are you telling me that your purpose is that I might live an abundant life on this earth and then go to heaven when God calls me home? He said, well, all I can tell you is this. I've come that you might have life. And you might have it more abundantly. That's God's purpose for you. Secondly, it's God's purpose, not only that we have abundant life, and, and we know that because Jesus came and said that, and he is God. But he also, it's God's purpose that we serve him. I think we forget that we don't get saved and just kind of sit on the end of the pew in the back uh, uh, so we can get out quick, uh, and just we sit there until we go to heaven. Well, Lord, I've been saved 25 years. I have wore this seat out. He says, I never intended for you to sit on the pew. I intended for you, once you were saved, to serve me. I mean, I, I saved you to serve me. He said, I created you unto good works. You don't work your way to be saved. You work because you are saved. He said, I created you unto good works. So, man, we serve the Lord. We pray. We witness. And I love this. I love this. We put feet on our service. He said, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. He said, I was naked. You gave me something to wear. He said, I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Well, Lord, I don't remember doing that. He said, you don't understand. When you did it to one of the least of those created in my image, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. When you give a person a loaf of bread, you say, I'm giving this to you because it's just like giving it to Jesus. He said, ain't as much as you did it to one of the You did it when you reach out and minister and serve 
one who I created in my image, you understand it's just like you're doing it to me. That changes everything, doesn't it? So his purpose is that we'd have abundant life. His purpose is that we would serve him. Well, I'm going to close with this, and it is good. It is good, 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 good. And I'm just excited about this. It's his purpose. And, of course, I haven't covered everything. I've just tried to show you uh, how Jesus revealed God. You know, it's God's purpose that we live an abundant life and that we serve him and that we love God with all our heart and love our neighbors. But you know what his purpose is? To take us back home, to take us to heaven. You know, he's going to take us to the Garden of Eden. No, I don't know. It's, it's not the Garden of Eden. I know that. And I knew what I was saying. It's called the New Jerusalem. Woo! You know what's so awesome about God's purpose? He says, I want you to come and live with me forever. Is that good news? That's real good news, isn't it? Listen to what Jesus said. This is God. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. i tell you one thing. Heaven is a real place prepared for saved people. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Man, I love those songs about heaven, don't you? When we all get to heaven. What a time of rejoicing it will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Are you excited about going to heaven? (laughs) This preacher got all carried away about preaching on going to heaven. He said, everybody want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. Everybody raised a hand but a little boy on the front row. He said, son, you don't want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, but it sounds like you're getting up a load today. (laughs) I want to go to heaven, but not now. What, what, What would be wrong with going to heaven now? You mean to tell me heaven ain't better than this place we're living? Well, I got things to do. Well, I think God could handle it if you went to heaven. I'll tell you one thing. Heaven looks a lot sweeter and a lot brighter and a lot closer than it used to. Amen? And I'm looking forward to it, and I know you are too. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all there, and we're all going to be perfect. Isn't that going to be good? Not going to be tempted. Everybody's going to be nice, kind, loving. Wow. All those Baptists that couldn't get along if they're saved, they're going to be all right. You notice I said if they were saved. It seems to me like if you're mean on earth, you'd probably be mean in heaven, so I'm not sure you're going to go. Really? I've just been mean, but the minute I walk into the door of heaven, I'm not going to be mean anymore. I don't know about that. I really don't know about that. Oh, me. You know what we're celebrating this week? Next three three weeks? God with us. And God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Praise his name.